Hi, this is Kevin McCullough. Thanks for listening to the Christian Outlook podcast, where we cover today's issues from a perspective that honors your Christian faith. Our podcast is brought to you through a partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I trust you'll enjoy. Carl Truman is with us. Carl's been a regular guest of ours over the many years. Department of Biblical and Religious Studies at Grove City College, where he teaches courses on the history of religious thought. His new book is called Strange New World, How Thinkers and Activists Redefined Identity and Sparked the Sexual Revolution. Carl, welcome back. That's great to be back, and uh, thanks for the commercial puff. That makes you feel real good. <laughs> that, that may be the only time in all these many years that a guest has been preceded by his own commercial. Yeah, I don't think that's ever happened, and so congratulations on being number one. Funny. Uh, Carl, I was on social media the other night, and a friend uh, of mine posted that he had gotten a new job, and it was at a, you know, a large corporation. Hey, just one want to tell you all, you know, I got a job at this corporation and I'm really excited because I've been unemployed for a while and blah, 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 blah. Anyway, so looking through the comments, a lot of people saying congratulations, good for you. Then, of course, you knew it had to come. Someone said, uh, have you researched that company and seen exactly what they do with their money? And I thought, okay, well, here we go. This is the person who has, like, the poor dude just got a job. I have to defend my corporate <laughs> right. choice. So now someone has to climb on the corporation. And, of course, as soon as one person saw that, there was another person that said, I wouldn't think of working for a corporation that does X, Y, or mm-hmm. Z. And then, of course, people were piling on and feeling, you know, one more person was more cynical than the other or the one person was more righteous than the other. And finally, I just had to shut the whole thing down because I thought this is sick. But that is the spirit of the age, right? We can find something negative to say about anything. Yes, I think so. It's, uh, you know, whether it's cynicism or pessimism or what, I'm not quite sure. It could be a different thing with different people, but uh, the desire to tear down seems to me very, very strong at this particular point yes. in time. So your, your piece at First Things, Carl, hope in an age of naysaying, I'm glad to feel, and, and you as well, that Kath and I think that, that hope is a good thing and it is thriving even in this weird age we live in. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it, if you were to ask me honestly to assess the state of society at the moment, I'd have to say that the bigger picture is quite bleak. But we're all aware of uh, pockets of resistance or pockets of hope in, in our communities and in, in our own circles. I've been asked recently, you know, where do you see hope? And one of my answers has been, well, you know, we don't have to allow the cynicism, the naysaying of our age to define our families, to define our homes, to define the communities to which we belong. And, and I think it's important to remember that, lest we, lest we despair or just become very dry and, and bitter and cynical, as mm-hmm. the people that Kathy has just described. Mm-hmm. I think that depends on who we surround ourselves with or what communities we insert ourselves in. So if I would have continued to insert myself in that social media community the other evening, um, instead of turning it off and throwing it out the window. Uh, but but if you if you do commit yourself to being part of negative communities, I don't see that there's any way you're going to come out the other side not being like them. No, not at all. I mean, I think that's why Paul uh, says, you know, bad company corrupts morals. Yes, yeah. And we generally tend to think of that in terms of, I guess, young men hanging around in bad company and, you know, smashing windows or doing something worse. But I think what Paul is saying there has a much more broader application, and that is that the way you think about the world and the way you think about the other, other people is profoundly shaped 
by the kind of converse you have with the people that you surround yourself with. And this is why church is so important. I mean, a church should be a hopeful community. And being involved in a church is something that should shape our, uh, our attitude and our mindset. You mentioned my first things piece a few months ago, and there it was the, the sort of the basis of that article was uh, the, the speech being given by a student at the Grove City uh, commencement recently, and she was making the point that uh, you know heaven is our home. We have homes between here and there, and we judge the value of our homes here by how they help us move to the next home and finally to heaven itself. And we should be striving to make our, our temporary homes here uh, a, a little piece of heaven on earth, one might say. Yes. But, you know, of course, we're all products of the generation of which we are part of. You know, so here we just went through uh, D-Day, the 79th anniversary of the storming of the beach at Normandy. And the so-called greatest generation, they were called to something that your generation, Carl, my generation, and this new generation, the so-called snowflake generation, just does not have the wherewithal, you know, to even consider something like, you know, our parents or grandparents did. We are products of, you know, what we derive from, yeah? Yeah, I think so. And I mean, on one level, I think that's a cause for gratitude. Uh, you know, I'm rather yes. glad that uh, when I got married, I didn't have to leave my wife behind and go and serve in a combat zone for six years. Yeah. So I think there is there's great cause for gratitude for the, the relative comfort that we have uh, mm -hmm. grown up with. But I also think that, you know, wartime impresses on people the importance of other people. It impresses upon people uh, the need for friendship, the need for connection. And I think we need to uh, to strive in our own day and generation to to recapture something that praise God that it isn't war that's you know, making us see that. But I do think we need to try to capture something of what you know the, the Second World War epitomised, which was uh, camaraderie, dependency, obligation towards others. These are things that make us human. Uh, the world is not all about me and my immediate satisfaction. It's about me being part of a broader community and fulfilling my role in that, and being grateful for the opportunity to fulfill my role in that. Yes. So, Carl, in some ways, this weird age we're living in, someone made the comment, well, maybe, you know, we're all worried about our correct pronouns, or some people are, I should say, because people are just bored, because there is no definite, infinite challenge mm. that we're called to nowadays. Certainly that could be the case. I think one might say that the triviality of suffering in our age has led to a massive inflation in what constitutes suffering or what constitutes victimhood. One could certainly make uh, a case for that. But again, I think that uh, is, is the result in some ways of, of the eclipse of being grateful for the things that, that we do have. Carl, as we're talking about uh, hope versus cynicism or hope versus despair or negativism, um, we spent a lot of time with you over the last, I don't know, several years talking about issues of sexuality and modernity and all of those uh, types of things. But I want to kind of turn it back to what you wrote about in your First Things article. Talk about being a teacher. Talk about what it is to be a professor on a college campus, because if you open, you know, if you would Google, you know, what are college students like today? You'd probably end up with a thousand negative articles before you got to anything positive. What's your experience been? Yeah, well, of course, you know, bad news, you know, good news doesn't make good headlines. Uh, you're journalists, you know that. You know, reporting that students are great and a delight to work with, that's not going to sell you any newspapers or get you any internet clicks by and large. But my own experience of students, particularly at Grove City College, is... Uh, 
is by much a very, very positive one. I do think that a lot of students come to college because they want to learn. Uh, maybe Grove's demographic profile is, is a little different to other colleges, but my impression of a lot of my students is they've been taught by their parents that getting an education is a way to getting on in life. Treating people with respect is a way of getting on in life. Uh, and I've had a very, very positive experience of the students I've, I've taught at Grove. And, and I would also say in general that, that teaching, you know, what greater privilege is there beyond actually being a minister of the gospel and preaching the gospel, what greater privilege is there than shaping the minds of young people with good stuff? I think that's a tremendous privilege. So you know, the, the joys of being a professor are not just the long summers when you can get down to do the work you're really interested in, but actually engaging with these young minds on a daily basis and realizing that the, the press uh, presentation of young people is not the whole story. Uh, there are some great young people out there who want to make a difference. Yes. Uh, who want to uh, connect with the good, the true, and the beautiful, to use the sort of the cliché triplet that we use in liberal arts education, and who want to see society improved in good and right and proper ways. And I think it's a great privilege uh, to have an opportunity to be a small part in that process when these young people are at such an important stage in their development. Yes. So glass half full, glass half empty. I mean, you see the goodness you're surrounded by at the same time, like you and Kath and myself and people who are, you know, reading along and studying along. Society itself seems to be a cesspool. It is. And, uh, it, that, that's certainly true. And I'm not sure that it's ever been that different. Right. Uh, I mean, I, I, I cut my teeth in academics as a 16th, 17th century uh, academic. Um, the world was pretty violent and unpleasant mm -hmm. in those days. Mm -hmm. We didn't have the technology that enabled us, A, to know about it all, and B, to inflict such great levels of destruction on the world around. So we have more capability for evil now. But I think the world has always been a, a, a more or less bad, fallen place. And it's always had pockets of resistance, pockets of light. And I think this, you know, we've already commented in this, uh, in this program that, you know, your generation, in fact, your generation is my generation. What am I saying? Your generation and my generation. Our, Our generation. generation. Did not have to serve in a world war. Now, that's not to say that wars haven't gone on and aren't going on at the moment. But we have not had to suffer in the way that previous generation did. And that's a good thing. I'm glad that I grew up without my earliest memories being those that my father had, and that is of running right. the bomb shelter at the bottom of his garden. Um, we are called to live on the world as it is, in the world as it is, not to lament that it isn't like it was 200 years ago or to wish we were somewhere in the future. We're called to live now. Mm -hmm. We're called to be grateful for the world as it is now, and we're called to be shining lights of hope within the world as it is now. Um, I want to ask you about uh, a conversation we had on the air a couple days ago, Carl. Uh, Tish Harrison Warren, who's been a good friend of the program for a long time, wrote in her weekly column in the New York Times this week about technology. She did an interview with Andy Crouch, who's written extensively on that issue. And one of the things that Andy said um, in his talk with Tish that was recorded in the Times was that technology puts us in a little bit of a different space now. 
um, because previously, if we wanted to have some, if we wanted to do something, um, whether that was uh, plow a field or live in a house or whatever it was, it was going to take a lot of work to do it. It's going to take a lot of time to do it. Um, and so that process of building or plowing or planting or harvesting or whatever it is was going to make us into a certain type of person because that effort was there. And technology kind of flips that around because we can do a lot of very powerful things without a lot of effort. And so that also makes us into a different type of person. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about that for the last two days, the kind of person that I've become um, because of technology. And so I wonder if you could just tell us about college students that you know. Um, how has technology affected them? How does technology affect you? I think one of you know there are many many things one could say about that. I do think that all the evidence suggests, and I see that in my in some of my college students that that social media has created far more anxiety yeah. uh, among young people. It's not something I can really sympathise with because. I don't care about social media. People will occasionally say to me, do you see what that guy said about you on Twitter? My response is, it's a weird way to try to get at the guy who doesn't go on Twitter by going <laughs> in on Twitter. Right. I really don't care what people say about me on Twitter uh, one way or the other, but young college students do. And I think if, if I had one thing that would concern me about technology among college students, it's not artificial intelligence and chat GPT so much. It's the effect it has on on their feelings of, of insecurity. And, and I encourage college students to at least be aware of how uh, social media is shaping the way they think about themselves and about the way they are accepted. Uh, and to think, therefore, about perhaps weaning themselves off it to some extent. Make it their servant rather than making themselves the slaves of it, if I could put it that way. Mm -hmm. um, Social media for me, but, you know, technology for me is really, you know, I live in the middle of nowhere, but I can order books from Amazon. So on that level, technology is pretty good yeah, uh, from that perspective. And I'm able to email friends. And, of course, as an immigrant, uh, it, it's wonderful to be able to call my mum on the telephone. Uh, my wife uh, FaceTimes with her sisters and her mum. So for us, technology on that level has been a very, very positive thing. But I think... Uh, uh, what Tish Harrison Warren is, is pointing to today. It's very, it's very important, and it's a, it can be a good thing and a bad thing. Like technology, is, you know, technology has delivered amazing medical advances. It's also delivered the H-bomb and, and the gas chambers at Auschwitz. We're all aware that technology is powerful. How that power is used, well, that's a very different question. I'm into that. We've been talking with Carl Truman. Just a reminder, Carl Truman is at Trinity School for Ministry, this coming Monday at 7 p.m., a free public lecture. You're invited at Trinity School in Ambridge, Pennsylvania, The Rise of the Modern Self. Carl, friend, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me on again. Always good. Carl Truman, uh, easily accessible. He's not on Twitter, but you can find him <laughs> many other places on social media. Thanks for listening to Christian Outlook. Our program is coming to you today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you enjoy our podcast, take a moment and tell a friend to subscribe today.
When I grow up, I want to work for a woke company. Like super woke. When I grow up, when I grow up, I want to be hired based on what I look like rather than my skills. I want to be judged by my political beliefs. I want to get promoted based on my chromosomes. When I grow up, I want to be offended by my coworkers and walk around the office on eggshells and have my words policed by HR. Words like grandfather, peanut gallery, long time no see, no can do. When I grow up, I want to be obsessed with emotional safety and do workplace sensitivity training all day long. When I grow up, I want to climb the corporate ladder. Just by following the crowd. I want to be a conformist. I want to weaponize my pronouns. What are pronouns? It's time to grow up and get back to work. Introducing the number one woke-free job board in America, redballoon.work.